Good morning. It's good to see everybody and welcome. I know it's Memorial Day, but as you're making your way in, I hope you got a bulletin. There's just a few announcements that's in there. Uh, let me begin by just welcoming you. And uh, I know we have a lot going on today. Uh, so please be aware after Sunday school class today, I know we have several out. We still have uh, Sunday school. And so we will be meeting downstairs. I know we have the, the nursery class going and Stacy who's downstairs with the kids. And uh, we might actually have the whole older kids class in with them today because we have several out. So uh, parents be patient with us and uh, we still wanna be able to meet and go forward. You will see some announcements there on the back of your bulletin. I'll let you uh, look through all of those. Please note that tomorrow the office is closed. And so if you are needing something, uh, contact one of us while we're here, let us know or call us on Tuesday. And so we want you to be able to have that day uh, to enjoy it. Uh, and then look ahead to all that's happening. We do appreciate those of you filling in and helping us teach. Uh, this morning we have several people plugging in. And if you're willing to help as an assistant or helping with our kids, uh, please let me know because we just sometimes it's the last minute, it's summertime, and uh, we don't want to cancel classes every other week or something because we don't have somebody. So if you're willing to fill in, please let us know so that we can keep those ministries going. Uh, and then also, uh, keep, keep before you the dates up and coming. Uh, you'll see those. We put them in there. And also our prayer requests. Uh, we'll share together those prayer requests as we get later on into the service for our announcements. Please know that when you share a prayer request uh, on the blue card, uh, that comes to us in the office. But we don't post that or put that in unless you call the office and specifically ask us to publish that in the bulletin. Otherwise, we will pray for you personally as we go forward. Uh, but let's take a moment as we prepare our hearts this morning and worship. It's a special day as we ordain uh, Grady and Kevin this morning as deacons in our church. And so it'll be a wonderful time as God continues to grow our leadership here. But let me read the meditation as we prepare our hearts. And then we'll go right into the congregational confession of sin together. So let me read this. And then if you would join me in our confession of sin. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. May your glory endure forever. When you look on the earth, it trembles. When you touch the mountains, they smoke. Therefore, I will sing to you as long as I live. I will sing praises to you while I have breath. May my meditation be pleasing to you, for I rejoice in you, O Lord. And we rejoice because we can come to him. He has created all things. And he has opened up that holy place for us to come. And so join me as we pray together and confess our sins. O most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and implore your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart fervently. Neither have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not done justly, nor loved mercy, nor walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our iniquity. Let your word pierce our hearts, cleanse us, and deliver us from the judgment to come. Amen. And from John 5, 24, we always find assurance of grace and pardon in the scriptures. Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So what a blessing to know that we can come together and worship him. So stand with me as I call us to worship. I'll invite you to join me. I'll read the light print. If you'll join me in the bold print. And then we'll sing together hymn number two in your hymn book, O Worship the King. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. Let's serve only the true God. Let's worship him. Amen. You may be seated. And before we do the ordination, I will make a little change here. We're going to do our confession of faith first. So if you'll keep your bulletin out. That way, when we get to the ordination, we can just move forward. 
Join me as we've been working through our confession of faith in the Westminster Larger Catechism. We're at question 101. So hopefully about halfway through. I uh, hope you're using those as opportunities to teach your children and answer those questions. That's what catechism means. It's instructions by questions and answers. Uh, a person asked me one time and said, Pastor Jerry, I don't understand. I, I thought catechisms were for Catholics, and they are. Uh, but they're also for Presbyterians and Lutherans, and it's the instructions of questions and answers. That's what catechism is. And so we ask the question and then teach them the right answer so that they have that. So join with me. I'll read the question. Join with me in the answer. What is the introduction to the Ten Commandments? The introduction to the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In these words, God reveals his sovereign being as Lord in and of himself, eternal, unchangeable, and almighty God, who gives being to all his words and works. God also points here to his covenantal relationship with the Israelites in ancient times and with all his people, so that just as he brought the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt, he delivers us from spiritual enslavement. Consequently, we are bound to accept only him as our God and to keep all his commandments. All of that as an introduction to our Lord. We are here to serve him, and that's what it's all about, being faithful uh, to the Lord. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to ordain uh, two of our men who have been through the training and extended. We've already ordained some and had a service earlier, but I'm going to invite if Grady and Kevin would please come, Grady Bannister. Uh, and is Kevin Newton here somewhere, right? Oh, here he comes. I thought he ran out the back door. You never know when the pressure's on. If you guys will just come up here and have a, a stand first, and then I'll have you seated as we come in just a moment. In the Presbyterian Church, if you've never seen it before, ordination is a perpetual office. It's an office that exists from now until the time that you're no longer able to serve. Even when you transfer to other PCA churches, your ordination goes with you. Now, that church has to install you if they want, but once you're ordained, it's an ordained office for you to continue serving until you're no longer able or have infirmity or of age. And so it's a great honor that you guys have chosen them to help lead. Uh, they stand beside the elders. We have two offices, only together serving in parity of the church. And so we welcome you brothers this morning. This church has chosen you. They have been through the training. We've spent months together. Others have done training before. Uh, we sit down, examine them as a session uh, about some of their uh, beliefs and understandings and favorites of Scripture, just to make sure that they're in line with us as well. It's a little bit less than the session. Uh, when the session comes, we make them go through a theological exam. No, some of you are wondering, wow, no wonder we're not doing that. Uh, but it's there. But I have vows that we want to ask you guys this morning. And if you could respond to these, these are vows that every ordained officer has taken. Kevin and Grady, if you would just respond to these. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing a system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of these fundamentals of a system of doctrine, that you will, on your own initiative, make it known to the session the changes which have taken place in your views since the time that you have taken these vows? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the principles of biblical polity? Do you accept the office of deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn this profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? And do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And lastly, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification 
of the Lord's church. And you know, upon that confession of those, I'm going to invite the session, if they would please come up. We also, at this time, will invite, if you want to, you don't have to, if you are an ordained deacon, you are also, we would invite you to come as a brethren if you want. But this is an action of the session. For those of you who don't realize that we've actually called ourselves into meeting this morning, uh, we will report this back to the presbytery, and we as a session uh, will actually be ordaining these men. And so we're going to lay hands on them. Uh, we ask you, if you want to, guys, just sit down there on that little stool there, and we're going to gather together, uh, laying on of hands, just the showing not of only our authority, but the same uh, grace and kindness that God has bestowed upon us, we want to share with them as well. And we've asked Woody, uh, one of our session members, if he would pray for them. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you called men good repute to work full of wisdom and work spirit, Lord. We call to serve, have a heart for your people. So we ask your spirit to fill them. Let them see with your eyes the will and need of our congregation and those in our community around us. Help them to serve with fullness of heart, that in all things we do, we give you all the glory, honor, and service to the Lord, fill them with your spirit, send them forth to do your will and your service in this congregation. Let us love them, serve them, honor them, and support them in all they do. And we ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask a couple of the elders to stay here, and the rest of you can be seated if you want. But I need Kevin and Grady. I'm going to give you a small charge before you go. Uh, I know Paul speaks to us in Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And I know you're not called to preach, but a person said one time, preaching the word is like living the word. And I would encourage you gentlemen as you go forward uh, the, to realize your lives are preaching the word everywhere you go. You are uh, not only a representation of this church, but you're representing Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to do so. And as a church, I would charge you, uh, these men are chosen by you, ordained in your church, to love these men, support these men, stand behind them as they serve, behind the scenes in many ways, so that the church can be glorified in its unity and peace. All right, you may be dismissed. At this time, I'm going to ask if uh, one of our elders, Bruce, will come and lead us in our offertory prayer, and then we'll take up the offering. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you instruct us in your word that those who give sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and those who give generously, they shall also reap generously. And then you go on to say that we should not give reluctantly or under compulsion because you love a cheerful giver. And this morning, Lord, as an act of worship to you and our love for you, May we joyfully render unto you a portion of what you have first given us. And we pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings and us in the building of thy kingdom. For we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Let's stand together. remain standing. I believe it's hymn 629 if you need the words or the music written out, but what a friend we have in Jesus right there before you, but I think it's 629 if you want to follow in the book. pray together and then if you would join me in the Lord's prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you watch out over us, for your providential care. Father, for the help that we need in caring for one another, in the strength that we need to sustain our daily activity and work, for the strength we need to carry the shield of faith, 
for the protection of the helmet that you give us to know we're secure. Father, we thank you for the shoes that you place upon us in the words of Scripture that we might take it. The Word of God everywhere we go with us. Father, all this we bring before you this morning, knowing that it's almost useless to think of what life would be like without one who controls it all. Thank you for not leaving it up to us. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who led the way, who through his obedience brought us a positive righteousness for ourselves and was able at the cross to open up that heavenly of heavenlies where we can all gather together and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for that and for preparing our hearts as we speak just to that this morning in Mark about the wrestling match that takes place. I know it's titled God's Beloved Son, and uh, I wanted to just tell you one-on-one with Jesus. Uh, Then that's how it is for us when we get saved, but in this case, it's one-on-one with Satan. That's what Jesus faces here today. I want to take you on a journey for just a moment on the baptism and temptation or testing of Jesus. Now, I'm going to do it from Mark's perspective. Some of you are going to immediately think of Matthew and Luke and all the details that go into the story, but I want you to hear it from Mark and some of the key things that Mark teaches us about this event in the life of Jesus and what it means for us as we begin to realize that Jesus has come to prepare the way, or John has come to prepare the way for Jesus. It is so that we have a whole gospel of discipleship. Staying on track, staying on path, being diligent to be faithful, all these terms are what Mark is all about. It's a power-packed gospel about how earnest you are about following Jesus Christ. So if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you really love Jesus? Now, I know some of you are looking at each other like, how are you going to answer that? How many of you really love Jesus? And then if I said, well, if you love Jesus, it meant you would do this, and I would give you a list of things that you could do. And then I said, how many of you still really love Jesus? Do you see, sometimes if you begin to think, well, it depends on what you ask and what the stipulations and what it is before there, because, Pastor, how can you determine my love? Well, I, I've told you before, I, I have an answer for that, and that is it's based on the time you spend with Jesus. How many of you, I could ask an easier question, really love your spouse? Gentlemen, this is the time to go like this. I'm setting you up for a great Father's Day in the future. If you really love your spouse, it's hard because I know we can't always be together all the time, but it would be amazing if every time your spouse said to you, oh, I love you more than anything in the world, but anyway, I've got other things I got to do right now. I love you more than anything in the world, but I'm kind of busy today. Can we talk about this later? You know I love you, even though I never say it. (laughs) Oh, I'll get Francis in a minute. (laughs) No, the truth of it is I could ask the questions over and over and ask you that. Well, why is it? Because time is important. What Mark does is puts us on a journey that simply says... Not put your money where your mouth is, but let's put your time where your treasure is. Just how important is it as we live in a generation of children being raised by people other than their parents? And you ask yourself, why are we having the problems we're having today? Oh, I'm not here to be on a political rampage or a a social 
you know, setting of change, but I'm here to say, isn't it amazing that from the moment your child is born today, we already have the rules. We already know the daycare centers that are available. We always already have the babysitters in line. We're looking for the jobs that have the places for our kids to go because we've automatically become accustomed to the understanding that family no longer means time together. And so therefore, we have a savior who we now say no longer needs our time as well. So what change do you need to make for your time to tell the truth? Here's what Mark says. That John had come to prepare the way, and at the height of the time that he was out from this wilderness baptizing people, verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of, up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. So now, set aside for a moment all the other stories that you have, and if we can listen to just Mark for a minute, I want to highlight a few points that are of importance. Number one, how was Jesus baptized? Scripture does not tell us. Let me just put that before you. He went into the water. It's the same word that we're going to use later on. It's the word ice that is used instead. It's the prepositional that Mark uses that actually applies into something, whether you went down into it, whether you went over into it, but it's something that is occupied with the place of water. So we do not know exactly how Jesus was baptized, but for the rest of the story, we have more details that matter. For example, why was Jesus baptized? Well, let me give you some points as we go through this very quickly. Write these down. Don't forget these. Why is it that Jesus is baptized and needs the spirit strength? Well, first of all, he has to take on our sins, and then he has to take on the cross, and in the meantime, he has to take on Satan. That's the process of why we have what we have today. Now, listen to this. I have heard it said that Jesus was being baptized, but why would Jesus be baptized if he has no sin? How many of you ever heard that? How many of you believe Jesus was sinless? I would disagree if you're not careful. I would, not, I would say that Jesus was sinless in his actions, but I would say that he is covered in sin if you talk about the imputed that comes to Jesus Christ through Adam. To say that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized because he has no sin, clarify yourself, because he is covered in sin. Whose sin is he covered in? Ours. He is there for a sign of obedience. He is there to sign that he is the willingness to do what the Father has asked from the beginning. In some of the other stories, as we know, when John says it, I, he says, I don't need to baptize you. I should be baptized by you. It wasn't a theological discussion right then. Jesus didn't have time to give him the whole debate of all eternity of the covenant that he made with the Father in heaven that he said he would go and bear the sins of his people. Realize that when Jesus is coming to be baptized, he's coming in the sign of obedience to do that which all of us are doing, to identify with us. Folks, as baptism identifies us with the church, so Jesus' baptism identifies him as the Israel of God. He identifies with the people of God, with the ones that he's going to cover. Let me say this quickly and succinctly. The baptism of Jesus allows him to identify with us. Do not leave today and say that, well, Pastor Jerry said Jesus was a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. But don't leave this place and say that Jesus has no sin. Just clarify the sin he has is not his own. But he bears the sins of the world. And as others would come for the baptism of repentance for their sins, it begins the mark of ministry of Jesus identifying as the one with his people. Hebrews even tells us that he is identified with us so that he could mark with us 
that he could rank amongst the sinners and become the chief of sinners so that he could also be the firstborn amongst us. It marks out the beginning of his ministry as we have it. You want to see the importance of the baptism of Jesus identifying with us as sinners, identifying as the Israel, the church of God, as the ones of the covenant people that are going to be saved, is to look into the book of Acts chapter 1. As they're replacing the apostles, do you remember the identification mark that is made? They set the two people out before them and say, we need to find somebody who has been with Jesus up through his resurrection, beginning with his what? Baptism. It is the mark of the beginning that you cannot be an apostle, one that would carry with it if you weren't there from the beginning. It wasn't just someone who showed up and saw Jesus being crucified, saw him raised from the dead. This is the person that had to be there to see the witness of the one who would identify for us. There is only one who can take your sins. There is only one who can identify with you, rank amongst you, and be amongst you, and be like you. Obviously, we'll see in the temptation some things that matter about his human nature and his divine nature. But at this point, we have someone who is taking on the sins, identifying and telling John, just do as you've been commanded to do for the righteousness of God. Yes, Jesus was not a sinner himself, but he carries the sins of all of us. You might ask yourselves, well, what does it mean? Isaiah 53 tells us all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned our own way, but he's taken the sins of us and placed them on him. The identity of why it is that he comes. Now, Mark's story is different. Listen to Mark's story when he talks about Jesus coming and he saw the heavens. You wouldn't know this, but in the Greek, we're talking about the second person. You have the first person, the second person, and the third person. Now, in English, that makes it easy because we would say I, you, or he, she, and it. Here we're identifying with the one of Jesus alone. Mark's story is not about anybody else. Mark's story is not about all the people watching. It's not about all the heavens that are being opened. According to Mark, the only thing that matters is when the heavens opened and Jesus was baptized, it only dealt with him. The focus was not on John. The focus was not on all the people who were around him. The focus was on the obedience of the Son, Jesus Christ, and the affirmation he gets from heaven. Mark focuses back to Jesus, where he simply has this coming up out of the water, seeing the dove, resemblance. Obviously, Jesus saw something. We have the reference of a dove many times before. The Spirit, like anything, is not able to be seen, like God, who is invisible, But obviously, like a dove, this isn't the mark of him saying that all these people saw a dove. This is the mark that Jesus, he's telling the story. Jesus knew that what he had just accomplished was what he had promised from the beginning with the Father, and that he was fulfilling all the righteousness that was necessary for him to begin taking on the sins of the world and preparing to die for them. And so all of a sudden we realize as he come up out of the water and these heavens were opened, it's a powerful word there. Mark this down in your Bible if you want to because the word, if you wish, schizine, which is there from the word schizo, is actually the word that is for torn asunder, torn apart. It is the same word that is only used one other time in Mark and it's back at the crucifixion, if you wish, in chapter 15 when Jesus dies on the cross and what happens to the veil? It is torn, it is schizo. The implication here is that he's using the same term, not that the heavens were just politely apart. They were torn asunder for the truth of God to reveal to us that the presence of God is there. This one that was baptized identifies with the one that tore the temple veil in twain, who brings us access to the Father 
And the only access that you're going to have is if this one fulfills his obedience and does what he was promised he would do, claimed he would do, and that is that he would take these sins and then take on the cross. It would be there at the cross that you have opportunity to see the presence of the one in heaven. Oh, there's many different things that take place, but how does he identify with us as Adam identified as representative of the entire human race? Romans, Corinthians, others show us how Jesus identifies with his people to represent us now before the Father in heaven. That as he comes up out of that water and as the Spirit descends upon him, strengthens him for the very task that he is about to take on, the mission that will never see him waver, that will never see him quit, will come to the Garden of Gethsemane in pleading for the obedience that he would not stop for his people. Jesus will not stop for you. Whatever it would take, his baptism of righteousness said, I will do this for them. He did not identify with us so that he could be like us, so that he could save himself. He identified with us that he could become the captain of our salvation. It's amazing that John uses the term that he was led into the wilderness where there were beasts. Do you remember what the Roman leaders would do to the Christian people who claimed Christ? Do you remember how he would treat them? He would sometimes take them to the Colosseums and put them in the middle of them where they would be eaten by what? The same word, beasts. I think Mark has a fabulous way of saying, look, even the captain of your salvation is going to be tested in ways that are no different than what you were. And just as you were led out to be tortured by the beasts, so he would be placed out to be tempted and tested among the what? The beasts. To identify with us. Mark is trying to say there's nothing you've been through that Jesus hasn't been through. He wasn't baptized because of his sins. He was baptized because he's carrying your sins. And we needed a positive righteousness. It's not just the baptism, folks. At the cross of Jesus Christ, think about this. If Jesus died for us and that was it, we could all say that our sins had been covered. But where would we get a righteousness that was able to put us in heaven? None of you lived perfectly since then. None of you could do that. None of you were able. The cross covers our sins, but it's his obedience that gives us the righteousness that makes us qualified to be in heaven. Without his obedience at baptism, without him going through the testings of the wilderness, we, not have the, we would not have the righteousness necessary that he's earned for us. It all comes together here in Mark's story in just a few short verses. The heavens were schizine, torn asunder as if it were the veil. And the voice of the Father who claims, this is my beloved. The term that is used, as we know, for the beloved son. The one that is referenced back to Abraham and Isaac. Isn't that amazing? That the term that the Israelites would look back to the beloved would be the same story they would turn to with Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember that story? where Abraham would take his beloved son and take him up to the top of Mount Moriah. That's the image created to the minds of the people. But for Jesus to be able to say or to hear, this is my beloved. The term that along with it appeals to what is known as rationality and willfulness. This isn't something that's just happening out of an emotional stance or something that was making us feel good or something instantaneous at the moment. Jesus' baptism leads the way for the Spirit to come. 
I'll give you one more thing that's important for the indwelling of the Spirit. Mark uses the word, when the like a dove it descended upon him, that's the New American Standard. I don't know what you're reading. The actual word there is the word ice, which means into. Translated most times as into, indwelled. When the Holy Spirit descended, it didn't just descend upon Jesus. The word that is actually used there, which would be weird for us, is that the Holy Spirit descended into him. Which is the same phrase that is used of the indwelling or the into when the Holy Spirit comes to us and the Holy Spirit convicts us. And when we invite the Holy Spirit and welcoming this, not that we have a choice, and we say to people, we invite Jesus, we use all these terms because when someone is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, it's because the Holy Spirit lives where? Into us. Different than being empowered. Do you remember in the Old Testament, empowerment of the Spirit enabled people to do the things God asked them to do, equipped them to do what God wanted them to do, and then departed. One of the greatest stories we have is not only of the temple uh, workers who are crafting and were empowered by the Holy Spirit, not only of the animals that would speak for God and they would be empowered to give God's voice, but we have the story of Saul at the end of his life when we are told what happens when you're only empowered and used by God and not indwelled by God is we are told that the Holy Spirit, what? Left him. The Holy Spirit left Saul. You see, there's a difference between being empowered and being indwelled, being saved and just being in church, being a child of God and just being amongst the crowd. The story goes on and on for Mark again that he says, look, the baptism of Jesus points to the reality that all that God has promised is true. All that God has planned is coming forth. The one has prepared the way, and now the one greater than I is here. And he has just in obedience provided a righteousness for us to be exchanged. And it will be there at the cross where all those sins that he has taken on from you will be exchanged with a righteousness that he has earned for you. He's taken the sins from you and he's giving you the righteousness he's earned for you which now means that your sins have been covered and dealt with. A righteousness now makes you able to come and you can access the presence of the Almighty forever. In Mark, all at the baptism of Jesus, in just a few short statements, he puts it all together and says immediately, Eutheos, immediately, he was led to the wilderness. A word that is there for the word cast out, ekbalo, is actually translated in a better sense, if you wish, he was cast out into the wilderness. It wasn't just an invitation of the Holy Spirit that said, you know, now that you have just fulfilled the promise of the Father and taken on the sins of the world and said that you're going to be able to die for them and overcome their temptations, why don't you just at your own leisurely convenience come out and face Satan? That's not how it worked. I want you to catch this. I want you to see who is in control. Because it's no different in your own life. The moment you've been baptized, if you're an adult, the moment you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, the moment you've become ordained this morning as an elder, the moment you took on a leadership position in the church, the Spirit's like, all right, let's go to the wilderness. Because you might as well get ready, because for the rest of your life, who are you going to be battling? And you've got to make decisions starting now that show that you're ready to follow Jesus Christ, not just at your own convenience. Discipleship is not a convenience. It was the only command given in Matthew for the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make what? Disciples. As you go baptizing, as you go preaching, as you go teaching, they're all participles, folks. The only command, make disciples. People who are ready to be with Jesus.
people who are ready to take on Satan the rest of their lives. You see, cast out into the desert is only one way to look at it because Mark gives us these words as he's cast into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted. This is a wonderful word, peresmos, if you wish. Some would say peresmos. It is the same word that is used not just in tempting, but in testing in order for spiritual growth. This is the one that comes from the Hebrew word, if, if you wish, uh, that tempt, uh, tempts us to do the same thing in our growth. Do we grow or do we not grow? The word that is used in Hebrew says sometimes we have to go through circumstances in order for our faith to grow. Now, obviously, if Satan is the one doing it, because he doesn't use the word devil here, he uses the word Satan. Mark uses the word for adversary, the one who is against Jesus Christ. So I'm sure he's tempting his nature. But keep this in mind, folks. Here's a theological note. When you're talking about Jesus being tempted, be very careful. Because he could only be tempted in his human nature. True? That's why we believe he is both God and what? Man. Because how could you tempt a divine nature that is completely holy, that has no sense of being awed with anything other than the will of God? How could you be tempted or sidetracked by anything when you're completely holy? But because he is man, because he's taken on our sins, because he's identified with us, there's this portion in which Satan says, now that he's like us, I can get him to sin. Let's just see how strong he really is. That's the word that is used back in the beginning of the story when John said, there is one coming behind me that is much greater. That's the word for stronger than I. And I'm not even able to undo his sandal. Now we have the one who is stronger, who comes into the wilderness who now realizes that he's there. Here's what I want you to catch. Who put Jesus in the wilderness? If I were to say to you for just a moment, remember the story of Job. And everything Job went through was brought about by who? By God. It was God that said to Satan, go ahead. If you'll give me the freedom, go ahead. Take Job to the wilderness. Tempt him however you would like. Try him how you like. Do what you like. But you can't touch his life. But everything that happened to Job was in an auspices and an understanding that he would grow in his spiritual life because who was ultimately over it? God. Here, don't lose sight of the fact that it wasn't Satan that grabbed Jesus at his baptism. It wasn't Satan that ran in amongst the crowd. It wasn't Satan that showed up and pushed his way in and grabbed Jesus by the collar and said, come on, son, let's go see what you're made of. That's not this battle. This battle was the words, my beloved son, head to the wilderness. Head to the wilderness because it's time for one-on-one. -on -one. Mark says it this way. He was into the wilderness 40 days. And the angels, while he was being tempted by Satan, were serving him. Mark's gospel doesn't give us the term that he came when it was all over. The word for the angels that we're serving is the same word that is used for attending. In other words, in Mark's story, the entire time Jesus is being tested by Satan, the angels are what? Giving charge over thee. Maybe you're here this morning and saying to yourself, I too feel like I've been in that wilderness. Sometimes I feel like every time I start doing something for Jesus to get closer, I feel like I'm torn to another place and pushed into scenarios that I never thought I would be a part of. 
Every time I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to God through Jesus Christ, then all these other circumstances with Satan start rising up. For those of you who've been there before, you realize that every time Satan raises his head, it's usually because God is working. It's usually because God is about to do something special. And Satan wants to jump in, steal the the grace or the glory, and be a part of it. And what we realize is that here we have a chance to face the wild beasts just like Jesus. Baptized in obedience to the Father. To identify with the sins of his people. He didn't have them himself, so he took on ours. He carried them to the cross. And the entire time in between, he takes on Satan. Mark's gospel is all about Jesus versus Satan, nothing else. It's Jesus that has to cast out the demons. It's Jesus that has to heal the lame. It's Jesus that has to calm the storms. It's Jesus that has to walk on the water. It's Jesus that has to multiply the... It's Jesus that has to overcome. It's Jesus that has to increase the faith. Do you see behind the story what Mark is telling you is this isn't just a battle with us and Jesus trying to make it through the world. This is a battle between Jesus and Satan, and we're caught in the middle, if you wish. And Satan is going to use us, destroy us, change us, attack us, and do everything he can to us in order to get at who? Jesus. And that's why Mark's stories always bring us to Jesus. He didn't care all the details. He didn't care about all the temptations. He didn't care about the details. Mark simply says... Jesus did what he promised the Father he would do. He took on our sins. He took them to the cross. And he's taken on Satan for us. Now, other writers would say, like Paul, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. That the battle's already been won. The battle is not between us and Satan. The battle is between Jesus and Satan. And as a child of God, there may be some testing that you need in your life. There may be some times in which the human sinful side of you is tempted. And Satan wants to pull you aside and place you in the wilderness amongst the beasts. So that he can scare you, intimidate you. And try to get you to do what the other writers Then Mark said, just give in and claim that what God said was not true. And you know what God said? This is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. You know what Satan's big lie is? to get you to say that God has lied. You're not his beloved, and he's not pleased with you, and you're not worth it to him. And then Satan knows he wins. Oh, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know when it was that you were cast out. I'm not sure when it was that you were baptized, followed through in obedience, or what it is God's asking you to do. But I would be the first to tell you this morning, you're not facing anything your Savior did not face. And you're not going through anything that your Savior has not gone through. And he did it for you. That you could rest in him that you could stay close to him and stay on track. Oh, remember the story, I'll close, just how close we can get to Satan if we're not with Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus told the disciples all that was going to happen to him, 
And Peter rose up and said, oh, Lord Jesus, not on my watch. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Remember who the battle's with? Oh, get thee behind me, what? Satan. The battle is not with you. Satan does not care about you. Satan does not care what happens to you. All Satan wants to do is use you to get as close to Jesus as he can get to try to overcome. Pastor, what do I do? You just get closer to Jesus than he is and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And no matter what you face, greater is he that is into you than he that is into the world. You can be a disciple. You can be close to Jesus Christ. You can be the one Jesus or God says, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that in just a few short verses, we realize the importance of baptism, not its mode, but its meaning, that just as we identify with the church, Jesus identified with us. He began his important ministry equipped by the Holy Spirit, just as our journey begins when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, just as all the temptation and testing takes place when we claim to be disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, forgive us for the times that we have fallen and failed. Forgive us for the times that we let the world take a closer place to us than you. Forgive us for the times that our focus became double vision, where we kept an eye on you, but an eye on the things of this world. Father, bring us to the place amongst the beasts. Let us realize that you made it very clear we're either hot or cold. There's no in-between discipleship. We're either right there with you or we're against you. And if we're against you, we're with Satan. Lord, I pray you cast him out. Bring us close. Increase our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you receive the benediction, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and God's children said, Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.